We've all got uh, Acts chapter 4 open, let me pray. Father, you make yourself known by speaking to your people. And we pray that you would please tonight speak to us, that we might then speak boldly to others for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, Look, what shall we do with this man? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. But truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. But let me stop there. I'm sure to leave for that group and then we'll carry on straight after that. Great, the children have left and you sit in the house place. So we'll uh, begin by looking at the Bible. I just wonder actually if I could ask as we start to switch off your mobile phone so that that doesn't cause a distraction. Uh, that would be a big help. Okay, now let me ask you a simple question. How do you know if Christianity is true? And I want to suggest that this Bible, uh, this passage, is a very simple way of telling us that it is because <coughs> truth is able to win even through the strongest opposition. And even when it is spoken by unimpressive men. Truth can pierce through and ultimately win. Now, I think Islam works the other way. And when Islam advances, uh, it's normally through powerful armies, bulldozing of the weak. But truth penetrates huge opposition. And so a historian put it really well. He said that uh, uh, Christianity streamed from the ruins of the Caesars. Most powerful people ended up in ruin. Christianity continued streaming through their empire long before, long after they had gone. And if you know the story of Acts so far, if you've been here from the start, you know the reason why. Luke has told us right from the beginning that these are the Acts of Jesus. And the latest act of Jesus in Acts chapter 3 was that uh, a man who had been lame from birth is now walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter and John, who are small fry apostles uh, compared to the bigwigs that we'll be reading about, where they are arrested. And tonight we will see what they say and we will see what they pray. First, let's look at what they say. But first notice, 
who they are speaking to. And it is a formidable group if you look at verse 1 and if you look at verse 5. The Sadducees who lead the attack, well, they don't believe that God does supernatural things, that God is alive and active. And they certainly don't believe in the resurrection if you look at verse 2. And there were uh, Sadducees close to the government, uh, the Roman authorities, and they didn't want their influence upset or changed. And so they are the ones who are always leading the attack in chapter 4 verse 1, and again in chapter 5 verse 17 in the second stage. And you see, just turn over the page, chapter 5 verse 17, and you see how uh, they are again. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. And they don't like these uh, uh, disciples telling them about Jesus. And you might think, well, that's a world away from us, but not quite the case, because if you look at what's happening in England today, the greatest threat, I think, to Christianity comes from those who are in the established church often called the Church of England, and the people at the top have national influence. They sit on the House of Lords. They don't want to lose the privilege. And many of them are what are known today as liberals, that is, they don't believe in a supernatural God active in his world. And many of them actually would deny the resurrection really happened, and they certainly would deny chapter 4, verse 12, that Jesus is the only name by which we can be saved. And they therefore don't like those who teach Jesus the way that the apostles did. But really, they have some influence in our country, but they are in uh, no way near the clout of the people in verse 1 and especially verse 5. If you look at the people in the same room with Peter and John, you will see that uh, every single leader of Israel is there if you look at chapter 4 and verse 5. All the famous names, present and correct. And you know if you've been near any courtroom in this country, if you've been to a court of law here, Quite a scary place, and the higher the court, the more frightening it is. And if you're here with this mob staring at you, you've got every reason to be worried, because these are exactly the same people who killed Jesus about two months before. Peter, you better be very careful what you say next in front of this lot. So, what do they say? There is this amazing bank of leaders against them. What do they say? Well, like Rob said at the very beginning, they move very quickly from the crippled man in verse 9 to talking about Jesus in verse 10. And what they effectively say is, look, you people rejected Jesus, but look, let me tell you, he is still alive. And so the first thing they want to say is that Jesus actually continues to live. 
That's why I think the significance of saying all this happened in his name. That shows you that the name is alive. The person with the name is alive. Nothing special happens when you mention the name of dead people. It's got to be a living person where the name will make a difference. Uh, I used to have the old uh, passport and I don't know if the new ones say the same thing but it said in the old passport if I remember rightly in the name of Her Britannic Majesty there was this command that the person with the passport was allowed to go anywhere without let or hindrance. Is that still the passport today? I don't know. Uh, I should have checked. Um, uh, <coughs> I've got a passport, it's absolutely current, it's just I don't go any further these days in Asda. But the, the fact is that actually if the name is great, there's a living queen behind the name for that demand to be made. And so therefore, Jesus is alive. It's done in his name. Second thing they want to say is that the Bible speaks in verse 11. It's very interesting. These uh, great authorities, they looked at Jesus walking in front of them for three years and they missed their Messiah. And they ask, well, how do, you, how do we do that? Well, the Bible, but Peter says, look, the Bible always said that he would. If you look at Psalm 118, verse 22, it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118 was talking about you. Psalm 118 says, if you want to know who the special person is that is coming down the track, you just look at the person that they're going to reject. And that's exactly what you've done. You are the builders of Israel. And you have rejected the most important foundation stone of God's people. You rejected Jesus. And the Bible always said that you would. The Bible speaks and explains your rejection. And then the third thing they say is that Jesus says, now this is absolutely huge. Verse 12. Look, why don't we all read verse 12 together? It is just so important. Ready? Three, two, one. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I know to talk about being saved sounds old-fashioned, but look, the alternative to being saved is danger. It's a good word. And the first thing you realize about this in verse 12 is that is, it is absolutely necessary. Um, you must, no name, give my name, by which you must be saved. Look, there are many things that you may do this coming week. Only one thing that you must do. And that is to be saved. And that's the reason why the apostles can't keep quiet. 
because the only way anyone will be saved and is Jesus and that is what must happen our urgent cry to the estate wherein you must be saved it is necessary secondly it is personal in other words only one person can save no other name Jesus if I can put it like this has been given the monopoly over the whole world to save people wherever they are of course he is because he is the only one who is living who can save all the dead saviors that we've had before well nothing they can do only this person can save and then thirdly it is given it is a name given among men to be saved therefore doesn't mean that you've got to obey rules you've got to receive the name that you have been given who will save you and therefore this is open to anyone who is humble to receive this person who has been given to save and so that's what Peter says now it's astonishing that Peter was saved really because well for a start he is very respectful when you consider the people who he's talking to well he begins in verse 8 by being very respectful to them but then he ends in verse 12 by being very kind to them because he is telling them in effect that they may be uh, powerful they might be murderous but even they can be saved and must be saved the invitation is made to them and they are astonished to hear Peter speak to them like this in verse 13 uh, you can see uh, the surprise can't you uh, when they saw the bonus of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men common men you know what uh, the Greek word for common men is it's very simple idiotes <laughs> that's what he actually says but you need a translation don't you well there you are uh, that's what they thought about them and yet even this high powered resistance they can't stop truth it will spread even though spoken through idiots and you can see that in verse 4, can't you? You can arrest the preachers, but you can't arrest the gospel. There are people becoming Christians. 5,000 in verse 4. Now, the next bit then happens behind closed doors in verse 15. They all put aside and they start talking. And yet it's interesting that Luke knows exactly what was said. How did he find that? Well, the suggestion is that the a man called Saul who was a person who was beginning to hate Christians and he was one of the great powerful leaders in that room and of course he became Luke's friend later Luke would have found out exactly what was happening if that was the case well you don't know what happened this closed door where we do now but we certainly know what uh, their uh, ruling was when they came out in public in verse 18 they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all 
in the name of Jesus. Now, my friends, that is simply what is being told to Christians today. The way we put it is like this. It really doesn't matter what you believe, just keep it private. Don't, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Just don't go telling me what to believe. Or anybody else for that matter. And so we don't hear it quite as uh, villainously put to us as the authorities put it to Peter. But nonetheless, that is exactly the big message Christians are hearing all the time. Just keep it private. That's what your faith has to be. And therefore, if you're working somewhere and you tell a Muslim, chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name by which we must be saved, and the Muslim goes and complains to the boss, but you sue me in front of HR. Say, look, I'm very sorry, but we are very strict about our diversity policy here. And uh, therefore, we don't want you to speak in that kind of way. You can have your views, but that is something you keep at home. If you see verse 12, there is no other name given among men except the name of Jesus by which you might be saved. You say that in a classroom, and an atheist child tells his parents, his parents inform the school, you're quickly in front of the head teacher and the governors, and they will give you your first warning. The Christian uh, see you in uh, uh, whatever university in the country, uh, they have a mission to tell people about Jesus, and uh, they tell people, chapter 4, verse 12, and you will not find a meeting space allowed to you on that campus. But the Christian who believes, chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Therefore, there is salvation for no, under no one else where you can't keep quiet. If you really think that, understand that, and believe that. And you see, therefore, in verse 20, they say, we can't but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they keep saying what they say, that Jesus lives, that the Bible speaks of the human tendencies to take the big stone to put it and uh, treat it as useless and that Jesus saves. There is no other way. That's what they say. Now let's look at what they pray. And it's uh, there, it's what they do next in verse 24 after they get back. And uh, we're able to listen, we're invited to be in part of the prayer meeting Luke tells us what they prayed for and I want to particularly talk about two things. First, that Christian prayer happens because of who God is. Not because it's a habit that we have, not because it's a rule that we follow. Those are reasons why I suppose people feel they should pray or have to pray. But Christian prayer is very different. 
Christian prayer is actually what God is like, and so therefore you want to pray. So it always starts with the character of God, what He is like. So the Lord's Prayer starts with God as our Father. Opens, opens that way. Why? Because then you know that you are with somebody who loves to hear you talk about the whole range of the Lord's Prayer, whatever is going on. Why? There is a Father wanting to hear and listen to His children. If you've got a God like that, you want to talk to Him. And now here is a God who is called Sovereign. Here are people who are telling them to keep quiet and they are of the highest rank in the land. And they said, but Lord, you are bigger than that. You are Sovereign. You're in charge. And therefore we want to talk to you. And he's powerful enough to help them. You can see that when they talk about what kind of sovereign God he is. He is sovereign and can, he can control what man can't control. Everything under, hev under heaven and earth and even the sea. Well for the Jew the sea was the most unmanageable, untamed place in the whole of creation. Jews hated the sea. That's why, incidentally, when you talk about heaven in Revelation 21, it says, and there is no sea. Jews were petrified. They were landlubbers, you see. And they even called a lake the sea because it had a storm in it and they didn't know what to do. They, they didn't travel very much until Paul came up and started going places. But here they were. He is the Lord who controls what man cannot control. Even hostile nature cannot stop God doing what he wants to do. And not only does he control what man can't control, he controls what man cannot stop. You see that in verse 25 and 26, can't you? Because the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and all these people doing what they tried to do with the kings of the earth, the most powerful, trying to stop God and is anointed in his tracks. And what um, the Holy Spirit was doing was telling David in Psalm 2 what these people would do in Jerusalem. Because that's exactly what happens in Jerusalem in verse uh, 27. The Gentiles' rage in verse 25 was there in verse 27. In the city they gathered together against you, who served Jesus, whom he anointed, both Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles, all the people of Israel. To do what? Only to do what you wanted them to do. Mm. Yes, they freely reject, but they are doing what they have been predestined to do in Psalm 2. And they are praying because God is a sovereign God like this and therefore with a view of what God is like, they want to pray to him and say, God, we are looking to you at this time. Because it doesn't. It seems that other people control. But we want to remember you are in control. And therefore, Lord in charge, where 
we're praying for you. We do that in our situations, don't we? Our country, my workplace, my family may be hostile, but you're in charge. I'm praying to you. You're in charge with hostile creation. You're in charge when there's hostile people. You're in charge. So Christian prayer is always started up by what God is like, not because we are told that's what we must do. Second thing to remember is that Christian prayer, in this case evangelistic prayer, is primarily to do with God changing us. That's surprising, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a God you can ask anything of, because He is in charge, He can do anything He wants, what would you ask Him for? Persecution to stop? Make these authorities slightly nicer than they have been just recently? Would he pray that people would become Christians and believe? Another 5,000? No. Would you help us to be bold? Not to be intimidated and to fall silent. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is a big uh, discovery for me, I think, as I prepared this passage, because in the past, I've always thought evangelistic prayer is praying for non-Christians to become Christians. And so as I grew up, we had this wonderful practice where uh, three Christians would meet together, we'd form a prayer triplet, and we would pray for three non-Christians, each of us knew. And they would become Christians. It's a good thing to do. It's just not something that the New Testament talks about us doing. When the New Testament talks about praying for evangelism to happen, it talks about Christians being filled with bonus. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is in prison, therefore, again, uh, in a situation where people wanted to keep quiet. And he says, pray for us that God will help us to speak the word clearly, boldly, as we ought. The prime prayer is for boldness. Therefore, I suppose really if we were doing evangelistic prayer in the New Testament where we would be praying in our triplets for three Christians to be filled with boldness that they would go and make Jesus known. No, look, it's God's job to make people Christians, but so often we are the bottleneck that stops people hearing because we succumb to the pressure of keeping our faith private. So what can we learn from tonight? Well, I want to suggest that if you aren't yet Christian, if it's all a bit new to you, um, I think it's just helpful to take one thing home and think about it. And it's from verse 12. You must be saved. Because Jesus is alive and you and I have rejected him. We've chucked out 
the most important stone. We've lived our lives without Jesus. And if we carry on like that, we will end up standing in front of the stone that we have rejected and our whole lives will crumple down and disintegrate into hell. So you must be saved. And he must save. You see, he will only sail to heaven on the ship of Jesus. He will not reach heaven on the ship of being a nice person of good works. So ask the Lord Jesus to save you, to take you out and to put you in his kingdom and you will be saved so first thing if you're asking the questions here's the answer you must be saved you may do lots of things but you must be saved maybe you've been to church quite a lot and you know the answers. You haven't got any questions about what you must do. You've got all the answers about what you must do. And you will be at home in a place like this because church services are familiar to you. But here's the challenge from Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. If you're a Christian or not, doesn't actually depend on your view of services but actually on your commitment to salvation. The salvation of other people. And I want to be gently thought-provoking for you because I think actually there are many of you who have been used to church but who are not Christians. And I want to bring the challenge to you in this way. If you don't really want the non-Christians that you know in your life. If you don't really want them to be saved, there is a good chance you are not saved. And you haven't understood that there is no other name under which heaven by which people must be saved. If you haven't fully come to see that, well, you probably are outside as well. Or to put it another way, if your faith is a private faith, you probably haven't got faith. You've just got a hobby of church on Sundays. So ask him to save you. And then give you a gospel heart to live wanting others to be saved too. What if you're a real Christian and someone who wants to therefore live for the gospel? That's what I mean by that. I want to suggest there are two things we can learn from that prayer meeting. One is to learn how to want to pray. That is, we don't beat ourselves up by trying to form habits and those are useful things to have a disciplined time, but to start the time by fixing our eyes on what God is like. 
because that's where we begin to have all the encouragement we need to talk to him. When I think of God as my father, I want to talk to the one who wants to listen to me because I'm his child. If I'm talking to God who is faithful, I put that in front of me. And yes, if there are difficulties that I'm going through, of course I will talk to the one who is faithful. And if I'm nervous and worried and anxious, of course I want to talk to God who is sovereign. Once I understand that's who he is, the desire to talk will be there. But talk to him and ask him for boldness because every single Christian in this room will have pressure on them to keep it private, to keep it quiet. And it's worth therefore praying for God to give us that boldness because that's the prayer, as you can see at the end, a prayer that God will answer. That doesn't mean that suddenly when God asks a prayer, you feel wonderfully liberated and free to go and talk with boldness. No, I think it'll still be hard. But verse 31 will still happen for us. Not in this way. This is not normative for our day. This is what happened in the days of the apostles. But it's certainly true for us that God still strengthens Christians to testify to Jesus. And we need to ask him to pray, uh, to, to give us boldness, or we will be the bottleneck that stops others finding out. So it's a great prayer to pray every day. Lord, give me that boldness to speak for you. And if that's a prayer that we want to pray every day, it's a good prayer good prayer for us to start start with tonight so I'm going to leave a moment of quiet and I'm going to ask you to pray to God in your own words in your own heart and after a minute I'll read or together I'll finish with a prayer and then we'll take questions and answers that you might have let's pray together first quietly and silently. But our minutes up, so let me pray, and then over to you after that. Our gracious God, we thank you for the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he saves. Thank you that he is the stone that the builders rejected, but that we might build our lives on him. And we do want to pray that as we build our lives on him, the strong conviction that comes to us is that everyone must be saved. And please, we pray, would you give us the boldness to say that, even to those who like this group in Acts 4, just didn't want to listen or hear it. Please help us nonetheless to say it. So give us the boldness that doesn't only look for opportunities where there might be results, but that speaks up for Jesus, even when the climate is hostile and against him.
And we pray that for the glory of his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.